You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke and all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. It's NBA draft time. All right. Welcome into the weekly Webfoot Review, eighth edition of the weekly Webfoot Review from SB Nation and addicted to quack.com. Jordan Schultz is sitting in with you. You can find me on Twitter, on the air Jordan with an O once again, on the air Jordan with an O on Twitter. Give me a follow there. Hit me up with ideas for the podcast. Anybody you want to hear me talk to, all that kind of stuff. We've got tons of basketball news, though, and a little bit of Ducks football news to get to this week. The NBA draft just finishing up. I waited until the NBA draft finished to start taping this episode. Three Ducks were available to be taken. Three. So we'll break down where they went or really didn't go in someone's case. Bull, bull, particularly. Uh, Kind of a wide prediction for him uh, as far as where he could go in the draft. Could have gone in the lottery. Could have gone Later in the first round, we'll tell you exactly where Bull Bull ended up. Lewis King as well. Kenny Wooten available. And we'll break all that down. On the basketball side of things for Oregon, some really good news for men's basketball in particular. A big name transfer has announced that he's going to take his talents and one year of eligibility to Eugene to play for Dana Altman in 2019. So they're adding uh, to their roster. Uh, He would have to get a waiver to play. We'll talk more about that though. On the football side of things, we're going to continue to preview their season and opener against Auburn on August 31st week by week. It's just, uh, my excitement is continuing to just get bigger and bigger to see what Justin Herbert's going to do his senior season, him choosing to come back such a big deal with all these other guys coming back uh, and the injections of younger guys, the element of the team that I'm also excited to watch freshmen coming in, making an immediate impact. Uh, 24-7 Sports released a list of who they think those guys are, and I think I agree with every single pick, and I'll tell you why. Mario Cristobal and the coaching staff are busy off the field as well. Another three-star recruit scheduling a visit to Oregon in a couple of weeks. Another three-star recruit committing for the class of 2020. Pretty cool. They're really getting it done and filling that cupboard up right now in Eugene uh, football-wise. And as always, we wrap up the weekly Webfoot review with This Week in Ducks History. And we just celebrated Father's Day, and I wanted to take time to highlight one of the best and possibly only father-son combo of Duck players of all time. I I really, I'm not sure that there's really a spot for that on Google, but if anybody does know of any other father-son Duck players, please tell me. And uh, I, I'm absolutely wrong. I just can't think of them right now. Joey Harrington and his father, John, though, 
are the subject of this week in Ducks history. So get ready to feel nostalgic at the end of the podcast, Oregon fans. I know I am. Joey, one of my favorite players, probably my favorite player all time for the University of Oregon. So I will never, ever take a chance uh, or pass up a chance, I should say, to talk about Joey Harrington. So make sure to give the weekly web review a five-star rating on iTunes if you enjoy the show. You can also find us on Spotify. So iTunes, Spotify, if you like it, please give us a rating. All those algorithms depend on all that crap. So let's dive right in, though, to Ducks football to kick things off for edition eight of the weekly web foot review. So on the recruiting side of things, the Ducks still working hard to fill that cupboard for next year and beyond. You've heard a lot of analysts saying that right about now about a lot of different teams, but it's extra important for Oregon since they're going to lose almost their entire offensive line after the season. Panay Sewell, the anchor at left tackle, is the only guy coming back next year. So you and I can guess where Mario Cristobal's focus is right now. A three-star recruit on the offensive side of the ball has scheduled a visit to Eugene. Jalen Jeffries, 6'6", 260-pound offensive lineman from Arizona, is going to be in Eugene next week to look at some of, obviously, the best facilities in college football. This news comes on the heels of a commitment from another offensive lineman, Faope Lalolu, 6'7", 390 from Hawaii. That's right, almost 400 pounds. He's possibly the biggest offensive lineman in the history of Ducks football. Uh, probably going to have to lose a little bit of weight, but I'll tell you what, having a force like that, that is just awesome, getting some much bigger guys in there. Thankfully, he chose Oregon over Arizona, BYU, uh, UCLA, basically the entire Pac-12, it looks like. That's pretty awesome. So Oregon now has 11 commitments for the 2020 class, and hopefully uh, the first of many more offensive linemen uh, as far as Lalulu goes. It's a position Mario Cristobal has really emphasized in his short time at Oregon. Now, it's a priority for the Ducks to look for the biggest and most physical guys they can find. Doesn't hurt that Mario Cristobal was an offensive lineman himself, uh, but, but the point is, it's a bigger deal for Oregon to look for bigger guys than, than speed. Kind of a, a big transition then from when Chip Kelly was coaching and Mar under Mark Helfrich at the University of Oregon. That kind of mindset may finally give them a chance to get over on the SEC. You know, they've always been talking about that competition between Pac-12 football, SEC football, and it's obvious the SEC drafts more players into the NFL. I don't want to say that they're better than the Pac-12, but player by player, position by position, they get more guys to the next level, and their schools win championships a hell of a lot more than the Pac-12 does. So so I, I guess I eat crow when I say, hey, I think the Pac-12 is better. I mean, I guess I'm obviously wrong, just according to those pretty easily, you know, readable statistics. You can find that kind of stuff anywhere. Even if you're just a fair weather fan, you'd be like, yeah, Alabama wins a hell of a lot more than any team in the Pac-12. So yeah, call me crazy, fine. But that kind of shift really can give the Ducks a chance to compete against those kind of teams, especially opening up against Auburn this year. Uh, Ducks of past usually have been the underdogs physically to those kind of opponents. That's why they lose to LSU. That's why they struggled against Auburn in the national championship game. 
So really good news to see uh, more offensive linemen looking at the University of Oregon. And the good news doesn't stop there. Marcus Harper, another offensive lineman who is from Chicago, has already changed his Twitter picture to an Oregon one. He hasn't officially committed to Oregon yet, but the 6'4", 290-pound product from Simeon High is said to be heavily leaning towards the Ducks. Uh, he is set to announce his decision officially on June 27th, so it's kind of a wait-and-see game right now for Oregon's coaching staff. Also, can't forget Josh Fryer, the number 7 center in the nation. He's got a decision to make. He had visits at Oregon and Ohio State. And I really should mention that Oregon's 2020 class is already being ranked amongst all of this good news this week, already being ranked as the best in the Pac-12 conference and the number 12th recruiting class nationally so far. Once again, that's for 2020. I guess I can say it's good to be a Ducks fan right now. Feels great. There are so many things to look forward to this season, as well as, you know, different kinds of position battles, young guys coming in. Heck, the years beyond are looking good, too. The future is bright. The Ducks are back, baby. Oh, uh, also forgot one more note from recruiting. Oregon also grabbed a three-star running back for the 2020 class. His name is Trey Benson. He's six feet, 209 pounds from Mississippi. Says he loves the family atmosphere he felt at Oregon. And it sounds like he's on the same page uh, with the coaches scheme-wise as well. Sounds like it was an easy ticket to punch to the University of Oregon and Eugene. Get this, his 40-yard dash time, 4.49 seconds. And he's big. He's bulky. He's six feet. He's not, you know, he's not a smaller running back. So he's really lightning fast and a bigger body. Those are really something to be excited about, especially in that combination. All right. But enough of looking forward to next year. We are almost two months away from the Ducks season opener against the Auburn Tigers on August 31st. I am just so stoked to get this rolling. 24-7 Sports took a look at which freshmen will make the biggest impact in Eugene this year. And I'm not ashamed to say that I agree with every single guy they picked uh, really to play a significant amount of time. Oregon already stacked with so many guys coming back and if you had new guys like this that are ready to make an immediate impact, who do you think is going to be able to beat them? In the Pac-12, I mean, nationally, obviously great teams out there still in the top 10, but they are going to roll over everyone in the Pac-12. I'm convinced at this point. Call me crazy, but this team is just looking so ready. Better and deeper than they have since you could maybe throw out there since Chip Kelly left for Philly. All right, so here are the freshmen that 24-7 sports say will most likely play and make a pretty big impact. Let me know if you agree or disagree with this group of guys on Twitter, on the Air Jordan with an O. All right, first up, pretty obvious choice in Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, he's going to be playing a lot. He had an amazing spring, showed how physical he was. I think he's going to be starting. He was the number two defensive end coming in as a recruit to Oregon. If you have that kind of player on your roster, say, all right, Ducks fans, put put the head coaching hat on right now. If you had that kind of guy on your roster, what would you do with him? Uh, easy answer, I would play him as much as possible. He is going to have a huge impact for the Ducks this year. 
And I am excited to see him getting a lot of reps and making a difference on the defensive end. That's already returning seven starters. It's unbelievable. Next up in the conversation about which Ducks freshman will have an impact and play a lot is defensive back Michael Wright. Uh, he is someone to watch this year. He had a huge performance, a breakout performance at the spring game as well. A couple of pass breakups to stop touchdowns and the interception at the end of the spring game uh, to seal the deal. Yeah, that was Michael Wright, if you didn't catch who that was. Freshman stud. Already looking like a star defender, so I'm sure we're going to see a lot of him on Oregon's defense this year. On the other side of the ball, another freshman that's going to make an immediate impact, according to 24-7 Sports, and I really agree with them, is wide receiver Micah Pittman. He enrolled early and within a week was getting first-team reps. Concluded a very strong spring with a game-high seven spring game receptions. So I would bet the house I don't own. He gets to a point where he starts multiple games this season or just comes out of the gate starting. He's probably going to get a few more reps than, say, a guy like I know Brennan Schooler's good. Jalen Red's still around, but you got to give this kid Micah Pittman some playing time. He's going to make a difference. And he could possibly get more receptions just because of the kind of player he is and how dynamic he is than Jawan Johnson, who's, of course, slated to replace Dylan Mitchell and came in looking amazing in spring ball. And I'm not trying to knock Jawan Johnson at all. He's going to be great. What I'm saying is Justin Herbert is going to have a lot of weapons to choose from. Like this kind of looks ridiculous. Justin Herbert already has a Heisman trophy uh, candidacy that he's going to be, you know, maybe not necessarily thinking about, but the team's going to be thinking about, he's got a lot of weapons. He's got CJ Verdell stud running back in the backfield. Who's obviously established himself as the go-to guy and the next big running back in Oregon's long history of, stud running back. So all these different combinations of guys coming back with a guy like Micah Pittman thrown in there. I predict a very potent offense for Oregon and all those troubles that they had coming out slow last year. It's these kind of intangibles like Micah Pittman. If he can play without any stupid flub ups in his head, if they don't commit penalties, these young guys, then the ducks are really looking high. I mean, the sky's the limit for the university of Oregon if they've got these kind of impact players coming in as young guys with an already almost fully returning team. This is the year, Duck fans. I'm telling you. And to wrap up this list, freshmen who are going to come in and play and have an impact is kicker Camden Lewis. Uh, Adam Stack isn't terrible, but he was unable to participate in spring ball because of injuries. So Lewis getting all the reps leading up to this point, it's not going to be a hard decision as far as which direction the coaching staff goes. My gut tells me that stack will be on the bench in favor of the younger and less injured to this point. Camden Lewis long field goals. Aren't really a huge part of Oregon's scoring selection or schemes. They really just try to get to the end zone as much as possible. So Lewis just needs to make sure that he's perfect from 35 yards or less. So these young guys are going to add to the fun that the Ducks fans are going to have watching this team this season. And hopefully, like I just said, add some elements that last year's team was missing. I think I'm most excited to watch Micah Pittman and what he does at wide receiver. His spring really showed that he's got the ability to separate himself from the other guys and at a young age, become a major weapon for the offense and give 
quarterbacks like Tyler Shuck, Jay Butterfield, whoever gets the job for Oregon after Justin Herbert leaves and moves on to the NFL, it's going to be pretty good at wide receiver. And I think we're going to see that shift. Um, finally starting to see some really good, consistent play at the wide receiver position at, at Oregon. That's something that has been lacking even since the Joey Harrington days. So it's really something you know, the offensive line going into more of a different form, being more physical, being bigger, and the wide receiver position being more of an attractive spot uh, for high-level recruits to come to Eugene. It's just such a different look than Oregon's ever had. Something to look forward to this year, coming up for August 31st against Auburn. All right, we're going to shift gears to men's basketball. Find out which players from Oregon went where, in the NBA draft coming up next on the weekly Webfoot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is the weekly Webfoot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. We've been discussing impact freshmen for the Ducks football team as well as their growing list of elite recruits for the 2020 class. Time to talk basketball, though. And there is more good news to relay to all you dedicated Oregon fans out there, if you can believe it. Eugene is coming to Eugene. Dana Altman continuing his effort getting really good players from the transfer portal by scoring sit-out transfer Eugene Omoruyi from Rutgers. He's six foot seven, 235 pounds. He started 26 games last year and averaged almost 14 points, seven rebounds, about three assists, 45% shooting from the field and 31% from three point land. So he plays forward. Omaruri will have to sit out the 2019, 2020 basketball season though, as a transfer uh, will be eligible as a red shirt senior for the ducks in 2020, a slight possibility. I, I am just crossing my fingers saying my prayers tonight that this happens. There is a possibility that Eugene could request a waiver from the NCAA and be approved to play right away. I don't really understand uh, what circumstances that he could give that might make that a possibility, but I'm definitely crossing my fingers, like I said. So hopefully he can slip on to the roster for the upcoming year since obviously they are still shorthanded. I mean, kid's a stud. Last season, co-captain, for the Scarlet Knights, point rebound totals, both team highs, drew a team high 23 charges. That's an intangible that you don't really talk about all the time. That's that's basketball IQ there. In the 26 games he started, scored double figures in 22 of them and led the team in scoring 12 times. That's unbelievable. He also led the team this past year in rebounding 14 different times. So fills up the stat sheet in a lot of different ways. Sounds like it's going to be an interesting addition that the ducks really need some. I mean, I don't mean to sound cheesy, but he's a little dynamic. He sounds like he's going to fill a lot of holes for the university of Oregon basketball team that has a lot of holes that need to be filled. So at this point, the ducks have nine of 13 scholarship roster spots filled on the men's basketball team. Of course, just mentioning they're still waiting to see if Omarui and they're waiting to see if fellow transfer Eric Williams Jr. is going to be able to play. Uh, of course, they for sure get the former backcourt mate of Peyton Pritchard, Anthony Mathis from New Mexico as a graduate transfer. So he's slated to absolutely put on a uniform this season for Oregon. 
Uh, UNLV forward Shakur Juiston also still considering Oregon. He visited Eugene earlier this month, though. Uh, he's rumored to be looking at Grand Canyon and Seton Hall as well. Add that to their top 15 recruiting class for this year. Guys like Chris Duarte coming in, CJ Walker. The future is looking pretty bright for men's basketball. This season itself, though, still a little up in the air. Thankfully, they got Peyton Pritchard back, but, you know, partly up in the air because of Lewis King and Kenny Wooten making surprise exits for the NBA draft. Along with Bull Bull, that makes three guys from Oregon available to pick that left. So three impact players that you kind of thought, well, you knew you were going to lose one, but the other two kind of a surprise. And then the other transfers, Miles Norris, Victor Bailey Jr., all younger guys too. Ugh, just left the Ducks in a tough spot. So I mentioned the NBA draft finishing up. So let's take a look at where those guys from the University of Oregon went and how they will impact their new team. And by the way, uh, the player analysis that I got was from nbadraft.net. Definitely want to throw a credit out there. Uh, nbadraft.net has some really good breakdowns. But it's time to move on to the news that everybody's been waiting for. And I'll tell you what, I was absolutely shocked, folks. Uh, guess what? Bull Bull not drafted until the second round. The 44th pick of the second round. Unbelievable. Was taken by the Miami Heat eventually through trade. Going to end up with the Denver Nuggets. Now, Bull Bull, obviously a lot of high expectations for him for his season with the University of Oregon until he injured his leg. And then a lot of questions arose about him. And if you really examine the tape, you kind of understand maybe why he dropped a little bit. But all the way down to 44th. In the second round, he was there sitting in the green room by himself. He was the last guy taken. It was really sad. He goes to Denver, and Denver has a project, essentially. Lewis King completely dropped off and was not taken by any NBA team today. Isn't that crazy? A lot of lottery picks were kind of going in different places. Uh, the Blazers got a supposed lottery pick that was supposed to be, I think, like a 10th through 15th guy. Nasir Little from North Carolina got him at 25. I mean, heck, people were originally saying Bull Bull would possibly go 20 to the Boston Celtics. And when the Blazers were sitting at 25, I'm like, heck, are they going to take Bull Bull? They didn't. And no one did until the Heat for the Nuggets at 44. And that obviously had really dire effects on Lewis King as well. And that is going to push a spot back for Kenny Wooten, even it, it, not as many opportunities for, I mean, there's going to be an opportunity, but not as many opportunities if there would have been, if things maybe went in line a bit more guys taken from Europe uh, more often than these mock drafts were predicting uh, guys taken a lot higher than they originally were uh, supposed to go. And that obviously has an effect causing guys to drop Kenny Wooten, not drafted either. He really wasn't already projected to be drafted in this 2019 NBA draft, but it, it just was a crazy evening watching what was going on in Brooklyn. And a lot of people were shocked to see how many high projected picks went uh, so much later than they were supposed to. So to start Bull Bull, uh, and, and I mean, we're talking projections from uh, the athletic 
said he was going to go 27 to the Brooklyn Nets. CBS Sports said 20 to the Boston Celtics. Sports Illustrated said 18 to the Indiana Pacers. ESPN said Bull Bull was going to go 20 to the Celtics. A couple of uh, maybe a little bit higher numbers. The Ringers said San Antonio would take him at number 29. NBC Sports said that Boston was going to take him at number 20. Uh, I guess lots of people that thought they had their fingers on the pulse of Danny Ainge and the Celtics were completely wrong. And Bull Bull was not somebody on their radar. Uh, maybe maybe the Celtics fooled everybody with these pre-draft workouts. Um, but what a crazy situation. And I got to say, you know, I, I really feel for Bull Bull dropping that far. Seeing him, he really did look kind of sad walking up to the stage. And hopefully uh, all those high fives by the fans that were cheering him on when he did, did get drafted and really were on his side. They seemed like that the fans were really trying to root for you know, the one guy left still in the green room pretty hard. And that I think brought his spirits up a little bit and trying to start the process of actually becoming an NBA player, maybe took that taste a little out of his mouth. So uh, Bull Bull dropping so far because unfortunately his size, uh, while an advantage, his wingspan is huge. He's very tall, seven two. He's so skinny right now, 208 pounds. And the injury with foot surgery after just nine games at the University of Oregon this season, that calls into question his durability. Stress fracture in a tall guy like that, you never know if that's going to be re-aggravated over and over. It's a question how reliable he's going to be at the next level. I mean, it's kind of a gamble for Denver at this point. They're hoping he doesn't have any more health issues. Um, and he is from Sudan. He's obviously the son of Benut Bull. And people from Sudan usually have extremely thin body types. And he really, like I said, needs to put on some weight. Um, it, it might be a challenge because of that, but but he's, he needs a solid 30 pounds. Um, and as far as on the floor, he really doesn't take smart shots 100% of the time. He's really trying to figure out his body still. He's very young of course. Um, but he really needs to give more effort on a really consistent basis and turn that motor on because there were times if you're watching highlights of bull bull, you see times where Dana Altman is just super frustrated because a guy just got right past him. And this is like a backup center. They showed a couple of highlights, a backup center from, I think it was Iowa when they played Oregon was owning bull bull in the paint. Just Bobo was literally handing him the bucket, handing him the space right around the basket and not challenging him at all. I think there are concerns about his attitude. Um, it's good to see that hopefully he's recovering uh, from this foot injury. Haven't really heard anything other than he's going to be 100% for when training camp starts. Uh, um, he's still very quick for someone as tall as he is. Um, but like I said, going back to the weight gain that he really needs to take on, that's going to become an issue when he's starting to handle a lot of contact in the NBA. If you look at highlights of him, he hasn't really taken a lot of contact, and he actually tried to, to avoid contact in those few games that he played at the University of Oregon. So there, there are a lot of things that made teams question Bull Bull uh, and made him drop. I, I just cannot believe he dropped that far, though. Um, but the good things that you can look forward to for C from bull bull in the NBA are going to be obviously his unusual size seven, two, he's got a seven, five wingspan and he's a three point shooter 
and how tall he is and the way that he does it, just kind of a low release. You almost think that that's impossible, but it's not. He moves well up and down the court, and when he is healthy, he's got pretty good agility. Um, he's not necessarily quick, but he's still lengthy, and he looks good moving up and down the floor, and he really, when he does put in the effort, can get rebounds at a pretty good clip. So it's obviously easy for him to elevate. I think he's got a nine-foot two inch reach when he's standing. So dunking for him, not a problem. He can pretty much do it while he's standing on his tiptoes. He knows how to get the ball into the basket. He's actually got moves. Uh, he can back players down. So bull bull is impressive. It's just going to be an interesting experiment for Denver at, at this point. And he was extremely productive to start his year, but that injury and the size, there's just a few things, you know, it's hard, hard to pick through what he's going to be able to do for an NBA team. I, I even think the analysts on ESPN were thinking it's a little crazy to see such a huge drop for somebody that was projected to go so low in the NBA draft. So the effect of bull bull dropping in the NBA draft really pushed Lewis King basically off the board for teams. Uh, he, a freshman out of the university of Oregon was expecting to be taken by a team as some sort of project and really able to contribute. But Unfortunately, uh, with all of the craziness happening in the NBA draft tonight, um, his explosiveness is just going to be something that a team's going to take a chance on, take a flyer on in training camp at this point. If you saw Lewis King play at all during the season, he is just so good getting highlight dunks. He's a long player. He can shoot the ball pretty well. He led the Ducks overall in points and rebounds. Uh, throughout the season because he actually played the whole season. If he didn't, Bull Bull would have, but that's another conversation. Uh, um, great athlete. I, I mean, he can score in multiple ways. He's a great three-point shooter, almost 40% at the University of Oregon a, as a freshman and even shoots free throws well. So, so he's got a nose on offense and he knows how to score, but it's going to be maybe a season in the G league for Lewis King. Now, isn't that crazy to see what we were talking about happening to Kenny Wooten and Kenny Wooten didn't get drafted. I guess I really don't have to say too much about that. He got pushed further down people's boards, trying to fight for a roster spot. I guess if you want to see these guys and what they can do, turn on the summer league this year. Although I think Lewis King had a disadvantage um, as well. Kind of the same thing. Bull bull had going on. He's a little bit smaller, uh, skinny wise. He needs to gain a little bit of weight, become more physical and, and get that muscle and really be NBA ready. And, and teams really don't think that he's there yet. So the physicality needs to go there off court concerns as far as his maturity and attitudes. He just, maybe he didn't do well in the interview process with NBA teams. I mean, he seemed pretty confident. I watched an interview that he did with the Portland trailblazers, uh, post, uh, workout with them. And he seemed pretty confident. And I mean, I understand why he was confident. Uh, the reason he decided to leave the university of Oregon, but for somebody that was so good in his freshman season, uh, I think rather than taking it as something to build on, he decided that that was good enough, uh, of a flyer to go on, to go in the draft. And, say, Hey, here's what I got to NBA teams. So uh, I just, I want to see 
what Lewis King and Kenny Wooten can do now with what they're given. They're going to have some chances at some G League roster spots at this point, but they're both going to work really hard. And I understand that they are betting on themselves and they're not just going to give up. It just, I really thought Lewis King was going to go in the second round. He was projected to go as high as 52 to Sacramento. I think uh, a 47th pick uh, projection by another news outlet. And it's just disappointing for Oregon they were supposed to have a couple players. I love it when multiple Oregon Ducks get drafted. It really shows the strength of the programs and where these programs are at. I've been talking about it a lot on the weekly Webfoot review about the status of all of Oregon sports, men's, women's basketball and football, and how much the nation really has their eyes on this program now. And legitimate talent is coming out of this part of the country. And it's what I wished for when I was younger watching the Ducks. I wanted them to be relevant, and now they are. And to have a couple of guys drop out like that and have Bol Bol drop as far as he did after being invited into the green room was a little hard to watch as a Ducks fan during the NBA draft. But I've got faith in my Duckies, and I know you Ducks fans do too. All right, coming up next, we're going to finish up the podcast with This Week in Ducks History. Since everyone just celebrated Father's Day, I thought it would be wicked cool to highlight the careers of the most well-known father-son combo to ever play football at Oregon, Joey Harrington and his father, John Harrington. That's next on the Weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. This is episode eight of the weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you. Time to wrap up with my favorite part of the podcast this week in Ducks history. The subjects today are none other than Ducks quarterback Joey Harrington and his dad, John Harrington, of course, a quarterback for Oregon back in the late 60s. Joey, one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in Oregon history, by the time he left the program at the time in 2001, Marcus Mariota, really good after that, obviously winning a Heisman. Uh, he started off sharing time with AJ Feely before becoming a full-time starter. His Ducks career included over 6,900 yards passing, 59 touchdowns. He was never really known as a very mobile quarterback, but despite that, rushed for 18 touchdowns in his career at Oregon as well. So cool. He was just so tough. Did whatever it took to get the win. His ability to dig his team out of a hole and get that win gained him the nickname Captain Comeback. Now, near the end of his senior season and uh, the end of his career, of course, at Oregon in 2001, a campaign for the Heisman Trophy for Joey resulted in a huge, like, like massive 80 by 100 foot billboard of Harrington or as it was crossed out with green spray paint, Joey Heisman, complete with a full-length photo of the Oregon quarterback right across from Madison Square Garden in Manhattan. So cool. And that really was the infancy of Oregon's brand really reaching outside of the Northwest and, and making an impact on people and making people really remember them. Sports fans really knew who Oregon was at that point, or at least they started to know. Even though Joey didn't win the Heisman, uh, he was a big part of catapulting the Ducks into the national conversation in college football. That still just 
gets it. That still really, really ruffles my skirt. Eric Crouch won the Heisman that year. The four finalists, Rex Grossman, Ken Dorsey, Joey Harrington, Eric Crouch, all quarterbacks, by the way, which I, I, I guess happens a lot. Maybe you don't see that happen as much anymore. Maybe more running backs are in there uh, more frequently nowadays, but, but just all quarterback year back in 2001 for the Heisman trophy. And Joey Harrington, actually, if I remember correctly, finished third or fourth, like dead last in the voting. And Eric Crouch went to the national championship with the university of Nebraska. He was really more of a running quarterback, more of an option guy. Just got absolutely crushed by Ken Dorsey and the Dolphins. And Joey Harrington going to the Fiesta Bowl, romping on Colorado, really making a statement. I'll just never, ever forget Joey getting completely stiffed out of that award. I still think he should have won the Heisman Trophy, and, and I will never get over it. I, I will be rolling in my freaking grave about that. It's ridiculous. Eric Crouch, really? You know where he was drafted? You know how long he played in the NFL? Uh, not long, barely at all. He was drafted as a wide receiver by, at the time, the St. Louis Rams. So whatever. Joey Harrington should have won the 2001 Heisman Trophy. Never going to convince me any different. Not Ken Dorsey, not Rex Grossman either. <sighs> of course, Joey went on to be drafted third overall by the Detroit Lions, later playing for the Dolphins, Saints, Falcons as well, not in that order. Uh, despite people saying he really wasn't a successful quarterback overall in the NFL, at least some people, I think he was a really good quarterback that just got stuck in a bad situation to start his career. Marty Morningwig post San Francisco, Steve Mariucci as your first coaches in the league. Good luck. I mean, multiple teams let him start. He showed his skill. And he was pretty good at times, made just over 30 million bucks while getting to live out his dream. What's wrong with that? If anyone ever said a kid from Oregon was going to be able to do that, I would have called them nuts. Did I think he could lead a team to the Super Bowl at the time? Absolutely. I mean, and this may be pretty cheesy, but ask guys like Carl Malone or Ken Griffey Jr. if it's easy or not. And Joey's skills, obviously, run in the family. Uh, we're doing this this week in Ducks history for Father's Day and, and talking about Joey and his dad. His dad, John Harrington, played quarterback at Oregon, and his grandpa actually played quarterback for the University of Portland. Um, his dad was at U of O 1967 through 1969. His first season at Oregon, this is a pretty cool fact, was actually the last one played under the umbrella of the, or whatever it was called then, the Athletic Association of Western Universities before changing the name to the Pac-8. Uh, they might have called the conference the Big Six this year as well, but I'm not totally sure about that. Uh, but three seasons total at Oregon, John Harrington, he was a backup, threw for just over 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns. I think he threw something like 12 interceptions as well. And, and I saved the best part of this story for last, though. This is pretty much why I did this for this week in Ducks history for Father's Day or after Father's Day. When Joey was born in 1978, Ducks coach Len Casanova, uh, him and Joey's dad were pretty good friends. Len Casanova sent his father a letter of congratulations. Uh, the letter said something like this. <laughs> this is a quote from Joey Harrington writing an article about it. We hear you have a talented player we should be looking for in the next 17 years. It was signed, sincerely yours, Len Casanova. 
What a cool story. I mean, obviously it was a joke at the time, but really just kind of thinking, you know what? This kid's probably going to play quarterback. So let's just get it in his head now that he should. That is just such a cool story. I, I mean, I don't really know how to wrap this up other than to say that I still get a lot of entertainment from going on YouTube, listening to old Joey Harrington highlights, watching Joey beat the snot out of Colorado in that 2002 Fiesta Bowl. Uh, I, they should have had a chance to play Miami in the BCS national championship, but computers kept them out. Anyone remember that final score? It was 36 or 38 to 16, excuse me. And it really sent a message to the rest of college football at that time that Oregon really was on the map, not just off the field, but on the field as well. So thanks for the awesome memories, Joey. I'm never going to forget those highlights of my childhood. That's because of you. And I know a lot of other Duck fans feel the same way. I still, I'll never forget the time. It was, I think, the first, um, if you've been a Ducks fan for a while, they do a, kind of a signing day. So players just host all the fans of the Mashovsky Center. And, and you can go get autographs with all the players. You can bring all your Ducks gear. And, you know, it's a, a nice opportunity for the university to sell some extra merchandise. But it's also a really good time for you to get up close and personal with these guys and really, you're not going to have a chance to do that much else during the season. I mean, I still remember my stepdad talking to Mike Bellotti. That was such a cool thing to see as a kid. Um, but the one thing that did disappoint me, and the reason I bring this up, is I went to this signing day, and it was my first one ever. I think I went to three or four. I wanted to get Joey Harrington's autograph so bad. So I think I was 12 years old at the time, and... It was Joey's senior season, so he was already a big deal by this point. And for signing day, if you haven't been there, they, uh, at least at this time, I don't know what they do now, they lined all the seniors up and the big coaches, you know, like Mike Bellotti or, you know, who Mario Cristobal would be today, and they put them at a table in a certain area. So other guys would kind of just be dispersed, you know, maybe some bench warmers, maybe some uh, uh, backup players or redshirt seniors that are going to be getting a lot of reps, but, or excuse me, no, I take that back. All the seniors are actually at the table as well. And that's why Joey was there. So they, they kind of put this, uh, group of established players and seniors away and he got to wait in a long line. And Joey Harrington was the very end of that line. And I didn't get his autograph ran out of time. And I cried about it at that age. I was 12 years old crying because I didn't get to get an autograph from Joey Harrington. But I got to do something even cooler with him. I've gotten to work with him in this business. I, I've gotten to sit across from him. I've gotten to be on the air with him, uh, try and get him on the show as well. Uh, big fan of Joey Harrington here on the Weekly Webfoot Review. So I, I just thought I had to relay that story uh, talking about all this and the Joey Harrington, John Harrington story for this week in Ducks history. And that's going to wrap it up here for the weekly Webfoot Review. This has been Episode 8. Really appreciate you sticking around. Once again, like the podcast. Give it a five-star rating on iTunes if you like it. And we really want some new topics, some stuff that fans are wondering about as well. So if you have ideas or if you have any burning questions you want to ask me, I'd love to hear about it. Once again, On the Air Jordan, at On the Air Jordan. 
That is my Twitter, so you can find me pretty easily right there. No worries. And we'll be back with a lot more coming up through the summer before Ducks football gets going August 31st against Auburn. A Pac-12 preview for each opponent that they're going to have and following all the craziness of Ducks basketball and recruiting as well. We'll talk about the Lady Ducks' success and look forward to what they're going to do with Sabrina Unescu's return for the 2019-2020 season. All right, Ducks fans, this has been Episode 8 of the Weekly Webfoot Review. I'll talk to you next week. Go Ducks! The Weekly Webfoot Review, the podcast.